That's funny. Good afternoon, and I welcome you to the Health Service Board <coughs> August 10th, 2023 meeting. And I would like you all to please join me in uh, saying the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. I pledge allegiance to the flag States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And I guess to make the protocol correct, I call this meeting to order and we'll now have a roll call. Thank you, President Scott. Call to order at 1.03 p.m. Roll call, call starting with President Scott. Present. Vice President Mary Howe is excused. Commissioner Breslin. Present. Commissioner Canning. Present. Supervisor Dorsey is excused. Commissioner Follinsby. Present. And Commissioner Svansky. Present. With that, we have quorum. Thank you. We'll now uh, move to item number three. Agenda item number three is general public comment, an opportunity for members of the public to comment on any matter within the board's jurisdiction that is not on the agenda, including requesting that a board place a matter on a future agenda. Okay. We'll be going over our formal instructions of remote public comment and public comment in person. So the Health Service Board welcomes public participation during public comment periods. There will be an opportunity for the general public to comment on the beginning of the meeting and an opportunity to comment on each agenda item. In-person public comment will be first, then virtual public comment. For anyone waiting in person, you're welcome to approach the podium now. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to comment in length unless the board president deems new public comment time limits during the meeting. All public comments are to be made concerning the agenda item that has been presented. A caller may ask questions of the policy body, but there's no obligation to answer or engage in dialogue with the caller. The Health Service Board will hear up to 30 minutes of remote public comment total for each agenda item. Remote public comment from people who have received an accommodation due to a disability will not count toward that 30-minute limit. Members of the public attending the meeting via phone, call in by dialing 415-655-0001. When prompted, enter access code 2661-881-1477, then press pound. You'll be prompted to enter the webinar password 1145, then press pound. Press star three to be added to the public comment queue and you'll hear the prompt, you have raised your hand to ask a question. Please wait until the speaker host calls on you to speak. When the system message says your line has been unmuted, this is your time to speak. You'll be muted when the next time, when your time is expired. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the queue to speak. A raised hand icon will appear next to your name. When you are unmuted in the system, a request to unmute will appear on your screen. Please select unmute to speak. Once you hear me say welcome caller, you can begin speaking. When your time is expired, you will be muted. Please click on the raise hand icon to lower your hand. Members of the public are encouraged to state their name clearly, although they may remain anonymous. I'll give an audible warning when you have 30 seconds remaining. When your three minutes have ended, I'll thank you for your call. You'll be placed back on mute and I'll mute the next caller. Thank you to SFGovTV and Media Services for sharing this meeting with the public. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. Again, this item is for public comment on items that are not a part of today's agenda. So it's anything that this board has jurisdiction over that is not on <coughs> today's agenda. That's what this general public comment is inviting. 
I see a number of people in the audience, and I think I know the topic that draws you here. We welcome your presence, but we will get to that during the director's report. I want to make a motion to reconsider an item that I voted yes on May 25, 2023. Item number six, and I, and I agendize this for September 14, 2023. Um, after many contact from members stating that this is a, not affordable for early retirees and they will not be able to pay this uh, and other, other um, comments from people, I have decided it would not be an item of fiduciary duty to have voted for this. Well, thank you for that comment. I think I need a second. All right. Is there a second? Second. All right. It's been properly moved and seconded that a motion for reconsideration has been made uh, for an item on a prior agenda, May which? 25th. May 25th. Right. All right. Is there board comment on this reconsideration motion? Can I just be, I just want to be sure I'm clear. I assume this was a rates and benefits issue right. that had been passed it was. by the Board of Supervisors? I guess you I'm, said, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I'm not quite clear what the impact will be on something that we've already voted through and has gone through committees at the Board of Supervisors. Well, probably I, not, but I, I want to be on the record as not voting for that. Okay. And our regular council is not here. Sarah, do you have any <laughs> guidance on this? On a reconsideration yes, for reconsideration. There, Mike is working. I'm, I guess I'm not sure what the effect of that would be if it's already gone through the mayor for it, um, because it, it seems like you wouldn't re go back through the whole process. It couldn't undo it. So um, there, there wouldn't be, in terms of the process, like a legal effect to doing this. Well, it just goes on the record. It doesn't change the, the mayor's passed. vote. But you put it in, uh, the thing that I'm concerned about, you've put it in the form of a motion. And that is now requiring this board, the members present, to vote on it. So if it passes, i.e. that all of us support this motion, it could be more than just changing your vote or not, you know, if, if we all voted for it. So it could have a, a legal effect beyond just your wanting to change your well, that's vote. That's not what I'm asking for. I'm just asking to change my vote. But you put it in a form of a motion today for us to take action, is my point, Karen. Right. And is that the point, that, is that what you want to do or do you want to just make a public statement, withdraw the motion, just making a public statement that you would have voted uh, no on? Well, I've made the statement that I think that was an error on my part. So point yes. of order, are you just asking for the minutes to be corrected? No, no. she's asking for a motion from us today to reconsider what, you, what your motion said to me is that you wanted us to reconsider the, your, your my, vote. My vote. Your vote. And that means that we have to take an action as a full board in, in the way that you proposed it. If your intent is just to put on the record 
that during that meeting you would have voted differently, you wouldn't be calling for us to, 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 propose, to act on a motion at this point, is all I'm saying. What does our city attorney say? Yeah, I mean, I think I have concerns about, because my understanding of the motion was it would be to actually reopen and do another vote, but because this has already gone through the process and the Board of Supervisors has approved it, we really can't go back in time and undo that action. I think the better course would be if you want to make a public statement, but that reopen, you know, attempting to put this back on the agenda when it's already gone through the process, I, I don't see how we can, that can be, would be a proper thing to do. So the motion itself, with, I'm going to rule that the motion that you're making is out of order. If you want to make a statement saying that you would have voted differently during the May 25th meeting and that your vote would have been no, I'm I willing. I have made that statement right now. <laughs> uh, no, you put it in the form of a motion. <laughs> and ask for a second. And I'm, going, I'm saying that I'm ruling the motion out of order. If you want to make a statement without a okay. motion. You want me to make, want me to repeat the statement? Yes, would you please? Um, okay, where would we start here? Uh, on May 25, 23, item number six, I want to um, state that I did not, it was error that I voted for that and I, uh, rescind my vote, which I don't know that I can do that at this time. Uh, seeing that it is probably going to make this unaffordable for some early retirees, and they will not be able to pay this. Uh, as a fiduciary, I think this is something that I should at least express. Uh, and the members did also did not have a chance to express their concerns about this at the time because there were very few members here, as I recall. So you're talking about $19,000 per year for an early retiree and two dependents, which, in my opinion, is uh, unaffordable for a lot of people. And a lot of these people do not make six figures like people here, you know? They're making maybe 60000 a year. So it's unaffordable. All right. I thank you for your comment. And it is so noted in this meeting's minute, will be noted for this meeting's minutes. Are there any other public comments on this item? And just as a reminder, we're under general public comment. Yes. And so we can recall for, uh, in-person public comment first. And I would ask you to raise the microphone uh, and look like you're eating it. You know that. <laughs> All right. There you go. Geez, not exactly my cup of something I want to eat. I know. But uh, <laughs> anyway, Fred Sanchez, protect our benefits. Uh, I applaud the reconsideration. Uh, I applaud Claire wanting to be on that board. and. I got a lot of feedback on this particular thing, especially from early retirees. They were never aware that it was going to be anything as tough as this. Like you say, some of them, they're not police and fire. 75% of city retirees are miscellaneous workers. Some of them pensions, thirty, forty thousand dollars right. $40,000. This is a choice about their lifestyle, whether they can pay their utility bill or, hey, I I have to have the heat on in my house, but 
maybe I'll have to roll the dice and not just not have health care anymore. So I really appreciate the courage, especially from the uh, elected bodies, their fiduciaries. I mean, I know it was a tough thing, but uh, I really appreciate the reconsideration. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Is there other general comment on this item? Seeing none, I'll move to virtual public comment. And we have one caller on the phone line, uh, and one caller has raised their hand. Um, I'll indicate when there are no more callers in the queue, and we'll hear a brief silence as we transition between callers. And with an update, we have three callers on the phone line. I'm going to unmute our first caller. Welcome, caller. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, this is uh, Sharon Johnson. Welcome, caller. You can proceed. Thank you. Um, I was calling regarding um, the item. I, I don't know if it's an item before you or if this is a general public comment. I don't have an agenda in front of me. This is a general uh, public comment? Regarding the resolution between uh, UHC and... Uh, you see it. Caller, thank you. Um, this, um, the item that you'll be um, speaking to is agenda item number seven. So if you stay on the line, um, when that agenda item is called, you'll be able to speak under general uh, public comment for that agenda item. So stay and on the line. And item number seven is the director's report, just to be clear. Thank you. We have two more callers on the line. Zero callers have raised their hand at this time. With that, public comment is closed. Thank you. We'll now go to item four. Agenda item four is approval with possible modifications of the minutes meetings set forth below, which is May 25th, the Health Service Board special meeting minutes, and the June 8th Health Service Board regular meeting minutes. All right. The, I'm willing to entertain a motion to adopt the minutes of the May 25th, 2023 uh, Health Service Board meeting. Uh, special meeting and the June 8th, 2023 Health Service Board regular meeting. I move approval of the uh, May 25th, 2023 Health Service Board special meeting minutes and the June 8th, uh, 2023 Health Service Board regular meeting minutes. Thank you. Is there a second? Second. All right. It's been properly moved and seconded that the minutes of the meetings cited in the agenda be approved. Mr. Chair. Or is there is there board comment or question? I have a question. Um, given the comment that Commissioner Breslin um, offered in um, uh, with regard to her vote on May in the May 25th special board meeting, um, is there an amendment to be made to these minutes to reflect to reflect that, or are we going forward with the minutes as stated, as, as presented? Based on our prior discussion, I think we have to go on the minutes as stated, uh, based on the fact that we took the action, yes, she voted for it, and today she has made a public comment that she, after further consideration, which means as of today, she would have voted differently. And that's been noted in the general public comment. But to say that 
that wasn't the action that was taken on the 25th of May meeting would be inaccurate. Thank you for the clarification. Appreciate it. Yes. Uh, Mr. President, if I may ask just for, um, this may be more technical, but would it be proper to um, attach the comment Commissioner Breslin made to this action item as opposed to general public comment for consistency's sake and for the record? With her permission, I would suggest that that's where it would be, that it be made as a footnote to the action on the minutes. Well, it wasn't nothing, it wasn't, I didn't bring it up at that meeting. No, but you brought it up today and we're considering the minutes from that meeting. So would you mind putting it close to the, the actual minutes or do you want to leave it in general public comment? I'm not sure if that's proper. We need leave a parliamentary to tell us that. I think that from my perspective, I think that in terms of ease of access for reference, that under um, the commissioner's uh, sort of discussion of the approval of the minutes, that that comment would be appropriately listed there and then the public comment be moved to the public comment on the minutes um, as well so that people, if they wanted to look at, at outcome of that meeting, would look at the final approval with the comments incorporated into the discussion today. So I think it does make sense, frankly, just for ease of access so that you could refer back and other people could refer back to your position. Put it in the number four today. Yeah, as a, as a comment of, yeah, and a comment of, we can't change the, from my perspective, you can't change the minutes because this That's is the minutes right. of that day. But in terms of the comment, you can comment that today you would not, you know, you wish you had, the comment you made, right, I'm not going right, to repeat okay. it. But anyway, and if that would be okay with, yeah. All right. Okay, so the general comment that was made by Commissioner Breslin will be noted with the uh, general public comment on the minutes uh, relative to May 25th that she would have voted no. All right. And the public comment that was made in response to her and the inappropriate public would also be that moved that also to be follow in under the public comment of just well. now. Had I been more maze bright, I would have said, please hold that until we get to the minutes, but I didn't know what you were going to yeah. say. So, all right. I think I'm clear, and I hope that the secretary, most importantly, is clear and that we're on the record. All right, is there any other board comment relative to the minutes approval? If not, we'll have public comment on the minutes. Thank you, President Scott. General public comment is now open for the, or excuse me, uh, public comment is now open. Um, instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first, then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium, so we'll move to our virtual public comment. Once again, Fred Sanchez, uh, protect our benefits. I think I'm addressing the minutes from the May 25th. Uh, what I'm saying is this is not a futile action. I'm sure the Board of Supervisors, as well as the mayor, will understand what dialogue took place here. So it'll be effective that people are getting very upset about the rate increases. So that's the purpose of 
what you're doing here today. It will get out. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Is there any other public comment regarding the approval of the minutes for these two meetings? Um, from the virtual public comment, there are three callers on the line, but zero callers have raised their hand for this agenda item. We can wait five more seconds for anyone to raise their hand or join public comment. There are still zero callers um, raising their hand for this agenda item. With that, public comment is closed. All right, we'll have a roll call vote. Roll call vote, starting with President Scott. Aye. Commissioner Breslin. Aye. Commissioner Canning. Aye. Commissioner Follinsby. Aye. And Commissioner Zavansky. Aye. The motion carries unanimously. We'll now move to item number five. Agenda item number five is the President's report. This is a discussion item and will be presented by President Scott. I have no report. We'll now move to item number six. Thank you, President Scott. Agenda item number six is the board president assigns committee members to the finance and budget committee and the governance committee for the fiscal year 2023 to 2024. This is an action item and will be presented by President Scott. Uh, it is uh, in accordance with the uh, terms of governance for this board and the secretary will pull up the recommendation for the standing committee assignments. We have two standing committees of this board. There's a governance committee and a finance and budget committee. And I am recommending that the board members that will be presented on the slide be assigned to these committees with these members serving as chairs. So that is the motion. Is there a second? A second motion. It's been properly, properly moved and seconded that the standing committee assignments for the Health Service Board for 2023 to 2024 be accepted as presented. Is there any discussion by members of the board? Hearing none, we'll now have public comment. Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first, then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. No one has approached the podium, so we'll move to our virtual public comment. And there are three callers on the phone line. Zero callers have raised their hand at this time. We'll give a five-second pause to see if anyone wants to raise their hand. We have zero callers raising their hands. With that, public comment is now closed. With public comment being closed, we'll now have a roll call vote on this item. Roll call vote starting with President Scott. Aye. Commissioner Breslin. Aye. Commissioner Canning. Aye. Commissioner Follinsby. Aye. And Commissioner Zvansky. Aye. The motion carries unanimously. We'll now move to item seven. Agenda item number seven is the director's report. This is a discussion item and will be presented by Abby Ant, SFHSS Executive Director. Good afternoon, commissioners. Um, I wanted to uh, start my director's report by acknowledging uh, 
four new members of member services that are present today. Uh, we are nearing our full, full complement of staff and member services. May I introduce to you, if you would stand please, Jason Hammock. What? And please remain standing so yeah. all of your Robert, colleagues Robert are, Beto, are identified. Ray Sean Bow and Barry Yu. Welcome. Welcome. We'd like to say on behalf of the board, to welcome you uh, to your new assignments as staff members of the health service system. And we are very glad that you've decided to spend this portion of your career in service of our members. So again, welcome to each of you. And I, we look forward to having you come back on a, uh, just to observe us during the course of your career here. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Um, uh, and just to stay on the operations uh, theme of my director's report until I get into some of the policy issues that are important of import today, um, I, I do want to recognize that the member services has worked very diligently during this last year with all the um, staffing shortages to accommodate or, or to meet the demands of our members, um, and it's been a struggle. Um, and so I really want to uh, hats off to, to Ray um, Gunyan and um, Olga uh, Stravinsky for leading the team and all the effort that it takes to bring people in in this environment. Um, we are really starting to see the results in the number of calls being handled in uh, in a much more manageable time frame. Um, and so this team will really complement that. And um, so we're just we're th we're thrilled to be here. Um, I think we'll ramp up and put a lot of focus on the uh, training that needs to take place to prepare us for open enrollment. Um, but that's uh, well underway. And it, it does take a village. It's not just member services. The um, enterprise systems and analytics team uh, does a lot of work to support uh, the open enrollment and get all of these rates uh, loaded into the system. There's over 9,000 at the end of the day. Uh, so um, it is a, a heavy, heavily reliant on the um, enterprise systems and uh, analytics team. Uh, the contracts team too has, has continues to do an outstanding job on keeping us very current with the very many, many, many contracts that we have. The, what comes before the board, of course, are the major uh, uh, health-related plans, but there's a lot of administrative support plans, um, not the w least of which you approved uh, most recently of the Aon um, contract. The well-being team uh, continues to work really uh, diligently to address mental health needs uh, through their our EAP program uh, that is also has an external contract that is really helpful to us. Uh, it's very um, difficult to hire and recruit mental health workers simply because there just aren't enough. <laughs> uh, so uh, we, we are very fortunate to have an external resource uh, that's been quite good to work with um, over throughout the pandemic and, and continues to support our membership. Um, so that's the operations end, uh, end of the uh, director's report. I wanted to just kind of go back and highlight some of the um, things that were written into the report. Um, uh, as acknowledged earlier, the rates and benefits package were approved by the Board of Supervisors, um, and so that uh, we can celebrate another uh, complete cycle for our um, primary work at HSS. The Healthcare Affordability Board that I've, I will continue to report on um, is uh, the state 
um, entity that uh, has an advisory uh, committee that I am a part of. Uh, they have a very, very, very aggressive timeline to identify targets for spending uh, in 25 because the year that those targets will be measured and penalties associated with will be in play is 2026. Uh, but that you won't see the results of that until 27 and 28. I can't believe I'm talking about 2028 right now, but that's the timeline. And even though it seems like it's far away in um, cycle time, it's not far at all. Uh, so there's a lot of cutting edge work that's being done um, uh, as we speak. Um, we are uh, presenting one of our board education topics today uh, outlined in the report are others that are um, scheduled to be come before you. Um, we do, and there's also a presentation uh, shortly that Michael Visconti will do that talks about this is the time of year when we need to consider uh, whether or not we're going to do any competitive bids for any of our uh, contracts uh, so that we can um, adjust our workload accordingly. So uh, we'll talk in more detail about that later today. There also is the announcement that came out that the University of California San Francisco um, at their most recent UC Regents meeting uh, approved the acquisition of the general care, um, acute care uh, assets of St. Mary's Medical Center and St. Francis Memorial Hospital. Uh, so that was pretty uh, big news um, under the sort of mergers and acquisition category. Uh, John Muir Health is going to acquire uh, San Ramon Regional Medical Center. Uh, that transaction is also underway. So consolidation is happening right here. Um, the, uh, and I will talk about the UCSF UHC thing uh, in just a second. I just want to make sure. Oh, the, the school district, um, we continue to work with the school district on the technical uh, issues that they have. Um, we are far from resolution. Um, we are concerned uh, and um, uh, we will continue to report on this. Um, I am escalating some of our concerns um, uh, with them as we speak. Um, their uh, minor comments on, uh, uh, Dr. Follinsby pointed out the last meeting, some questionable language we had in the AON contract approval, we've corrected that. Or, or recognize that it wasn't necessary. Um, we do have uh, some um, race equity and diversity inclusion updates. Um, trans Transgender History Month uh, is this month. Uh, and there's quite a bit of activity in the city uh, celebrating that. So that leaves me to talk a little bit about what the subject that many people are here and I'm sure listening on the call. Uh, we had been informed that the United Healthcare um, is uh, working to um, on their contract with all five uh, University of California medical centers for their MA product. Um, it's my understanding that the University of California San Francisco Medical Group um, and United Healthcare um, have not agreed on uh, a reimbursement rate. Um, it's, it's a little hard to explain, so let me try, in that um, it's not that they, ha they haven't had a contract. They've been a willing participant in Medicare so that 
United Healthcare would pay the the standard Medicare reimbursement rate for an out of network, uh, a willing out of network provider, right? Is that right, Monica? <laughs> and um, and that's the way it's been for years. Um, and this year, leadership at UCSF has decided that they wanted to negotiate a rate and not do this willing out of network practice. I also understand that the other four medical centers um, have agreed to a rate with United. So UCSF stands alone. Um, we as HSS can't really get in the middle of negotiations um, and our relationship uh, is with United Healthcare. Um, however, uh, we are and um, we are talking to other employers that have this similar problem. Uh, the University of California, San Francisco itself has this problem. Um, uh, CalPERS has this problem. Um, so uh, there's a lot of uh, interest in this and we'd really like to um, see that it gets resolved. Our, our members are kind of stuck in the middle and one of the, one of the bigger challenges is the university's various practices and scheduling offices and billing departments, et cetera, because it's not all unified at this point in time, um, is uh, not always giving the most accurate and helpful information to our members. There's a lot of inconsistencies. It's just, and so, and our members, as they learn about this, are getting worried, will this affect me? Um, United assures us that the claims are coming through very steadily and readily, so Apparently, quite a number of our members are successfully um, uh, getting treatment and, and advice at the university. Um, and so we're pushing hard to get both parties to the table to get this resolved because it really puts our members in a, in a difficult position. Um, United has uh, indicated to us that they've trained their customer service center so that when our members uh, call the number on the back of their card, which is what we encourage them to do if they have a question or concern about this, that they will get um, uh, HSS-specific um, uh, information that is more accurate than what uh, folks are being told by the university. Accurate to the degree that we know, because we don't always know what the university staff is being told to tell our members. We haven't figured that out yet. Um, but we're um, talking about this literally every day uh, in the office and talking to United um, as well. So I think I'll stop, pause there and see if there's any questions on this matter or any other matter in the director's report. So, so you said questions you, at, uh, from board members on the director's report. Yeah, so UCSF owns SF General, St. Mary's, St. Francis, uh, acute care. Now, are all these affected by that uh, decision with United Healthcare? Uh, UCSF is a health system. Um, does not own San Francisco General Hospital. But there, there is an act. There is an act. There is a medical. I don't know. I don't know how it's working today. There is a. There is a contract between the health department and UCSF to provide medical care at San Francisco General. I don't know if those folks are considered part of the medical group. They may or may not be, I'm not sure. And then there's a, the group that is the medical group 
that is a lot of physicians, then that medical group as a entity is um, been, uh, you know, growing and um, there's many practices that have worked relatively independently over the years, but now they're being uh, standardized with administrative support, et cetera. Um, and I, am, I can't tell you in this moment where things are at with the medical staff uh, of the two Dignity Hospitals. Um, that transfer of them to be on the medical staff at UCSF, I'm sure, is one of the many items on their to-do list with this acquisition. So for people that have appointments, okay. and the doctors are seeing them, they just continue with that, right? That has been occurring. Uh, Commissioner Fallins. Yeah, so uh, number one, do we have a, a date? You, you said in your report that the, uh, faculty, the UCS Medical Group has um, uh, instructed doctors to stop providing medical services, blah, blah, blah. Was there a date for that when they, when they supposedly stopped providing medical services to new requests? Um, I'm just kind of curious to know because that would impact whether we're starting to hear problems. I, I appreciate the thoroughness of your report from the standpoint that a lot of times <laughs> physicians um, don't understand what's going on with the billing. And they may provide services and the staff may make appointments for months um, and then all of a sudden bills start getting sent back. And so there may be, as you pointed out in your report, I think, accurately, a lag. I just want to remind everybody, make sure that we're all on the same page, that the medical groups are separate entities than the hospital systems. And so um, the UCSF hospital system, uh, which has you know, outlying clinics and all that, you know, is, is sort of different than the medical group itself or and the UCSF medical group is different than every other medical group at any other UC um, hospital system. So it's quite possible that the physicians at UCLA, at UC Davis, all have, through their medical group, have signed contracts with UHC, and it's simply the physician medical group at, at, um, at UCSF, and not UCSF itself, um, as it says, medical services, so if you're referred up there for an MRI scan or a CT or some, some procedure, but there will be a, um, <clears throat> there, there will often be a professional fee associated with that referral. So you may get your scan, but the way this reads is quite possible that you won't, that you may get a bill from an anesthesiologist or somebody, because <clears throat> I don't know, several medical centers such as Sutter have foundations for physicians. And so when the, when the health plans sign agreements with hospitals, the, the foundations get sort of rolled into that. But UCSF, this is, the this is the medical group. It's not a foundation. And so this has to be negotiated separately is the way I understand it. So I just want to make sure everyone's clear about the complexity of these um, relationships. <clears throat> and don't, you know, it's not appropriate to go and, and throw a history fit in front of the UCSF um, administrative offices because it's the medical group. I don't know where their offices are, so I'm not going to comment on that. But that's the way I understand it. Is that pretty it, It's close, and I don't know if Tkarna is better than me, but you know, if you look on their website, they do have a, a vice president of the health, the UCSF health network. Yeah. Uh, because their health network is both the medical groups, um, but you know they've ex they they um, have a 20 county reach, 
So there are other um, hospitals and medical groups that are part of this UC family. Um, you know, so legally, I don't know exactly how it's all established, but it's consolidating um, for for certain. And um, so that's that's the way that we're uh, approaching it is is uh, just trying to get the attention of the networks, the medical groups, contracting team to just let them know that we're concerned. Um, so we continue to to express our concern. All right. Uh, yes. Chris, President, if I may. Um, Commissioner Channing, I'm sorry. I've been called much worse, thank you. <laughs> uh, as to <laughs> Commissioner Follinsby's question, is there a direct date that they've noted where we need to uh, keep as a benchmark or highlight to, to be monitoring? Uh, well, we, we know that uh, they, uh, this is what United told us, <laughs> is that on the 30th of June, oh. um, they uh, elaborated that they were they were prepared, UCSF was prepared to configure their systems to turn away new appointments, but plan to see existing members through their cycle of treatment. And then a few days later, United began receiving employer group inquiries about canceled appointments. So they've done something, I can't, I, it's, not, it's not clear to me, it does not look like they've done anything, any broad brush, they, you know, because of the number of uh, we've had a handful of members contact us and, you know, only what, one or two that have contacted United directly that um, have, uh, have a particular issue. You know, we have others, and I think they're in the audience today as well, that are worried that they will have an issue. And we know that people are being seen because the claims are coming through. So we've got a little bit of everything happening. It's messy. It's very messy, and it's not as clean. Uh, you know, it, to try to make a bad situation better, <laughs> one way is to have some consistent communication with from UC to our members that is helpful. Because uh, right now they're advising people to get another insurance plan. Go to you know, I, it's just like like people can just do that. Uh, that's not um, helpful information. So we, we would love and relish the opportunity to work with the university to be sure that they're, if they feel the need to give advice to our members, that they at least have some accurate advice to give. All right. It'd be Thank better you. if they got the advice from UC, from the United Healthcare. All right, Commissioner Savansky. Um, I just want to clarify because I, in my brain, UCSF is on the hill. But we have moccasin people, and you said that, that there are a number of satellites, and, but the other UC satellites all have contracts, as I understand, right? Mm -hmm. So we don't have, this is no. not in any way impacting any of our folks up at moccasin, mm. unless no, they're referred no down there's no university hospital up there. Okay, I just wanted to- Unless they to go down to Modesto. Make sure, because sometimes yeah. we forget they're up there. Yeah. Well, there are- okay. Five UC medical uh, groups or centers yeah. in the system. One is at UC Davis, one at UC uh, San Diego, UCLA, and UC Irvine, in addition to the one here in San Francisco. And the one that is not contracted with United Healthcare to date is UC San Francisco. So the focus is around that issue. Are there other questions from the board? 
If not, we'll now have public comment. I just wanted to ask, uh, yes. uh, Mr. Breslin. Yeah, um, you, you speak into your, the microphone. Yeah, how are the um, competition here? How are the, is the staffing going, and how are, uh, are the phones being answered? I had somebody who was trying to go into the office and try to phone and couldn't do either one. Yeah, as I reported earlier, our operations uh, functions are, are far better than they used to be or had been for the last year. We're getting close back, back to our standard, meeting our goals and standards. Uh, so things but should be much coming improved. into the office? Not yet. Not Nobody's yet. coming in the office yet. The, the staff or the staff. members? It, staff, yeah. Staff, yeah, it's a hybrid. Some people come in um, a but couple of days But they're not accepting anybody, members to show up there? Not yet. Okay. We need but, to get our staff up and But are they answering trained. the phones for the members? Yes. That's what's yes. important. Right, and it's been a problem for a year. And it's almost gone away. I, Ray, what did you tell me yesterday? Just one or two. You, you're welcome to take the mic and just com make those comments you made to me yesterday. It made me smile. <laughs> yes. Um, so Would the you please phone, identify oh, yourself, so, Ray. Yes. Ray Gian, Chief Operating Officer. Yes, we're happy to report that the the issues regarding the phone system are much resolved. Um, this week, um, the majority of calls were answered directly. We um, over. Um, the week, we've averaged between 10 and 4 uh, voicemails per day, meaning that the call was not answered in a period of minutes and rolled to voicemail. So we are receiving a very few number of voicemails and a very few number of, of uh, abandoned calls. Uh, with the average um, length of time that the call is abandoned at like six minutes, which is much improved from where it used to be. So we are on track to successfully answering all member calls within a reasonable period. With the addition of the new staff, we're just um, anticipating that that will be very soon. All right, thank you. Are there any other comments or questions from board members yeah, as regarding? As long as you're at the podium, maybe you can answer this question. Um, does our system um, let members know what the wait time is and give an option, as many systems are now learning to do, that if you want, we can call you back and confirms the number, you know, these programs. Is our system um, capable of that? We, um, our system was updated in May of last year um, to the current version. Um, since that point in time, not only us, but all other city departments utilizing the system have experienced some technical challenges related to the system where we have not been able to implement some of those advanced features. Um, we rely instead on voicemail. So if a call goes unanswered for a certain number of minutes, and we can vary that range between 10 and 20 minutes, that if it's not called answered by that point in time, it will roll to voicemail. Um, we have found um, that that is the most um, expedient way to handle these issues. Uh, just because of the fact the length of time of calls varies widely. And so uh, we prefer to set a scheduled point in time where we can reduce, uh, re return those voicemails at the end of the day. So the vast majority of voicemails, if one is left, is answered the same day. If not, the next day. Um, we used to rely uh, a lot on mandatory overtime on Saturdays to return any of our voicemails, but we're not at that point any longer. Right. Thank you. Just, I would just say that as a consumer in other areas, 
I actually find these upgraded systems rather useful because when, you know, to sort of leave a voicemail and say, well, we'll call you by the end of the day or whatever when I, you know, also when I'm sure that our members have other agenda items as well may not be as, uh, as um, pleasant for them as it is for us. And so if there's a way to maybe work with the rest of the city on these upgrades, it might be useful to our members and help mm -hmm. ameliorate a lot of the a lot of the anxiety over calling <laughs> and the complaints. Yes, right. definitely we can look into some of those more advanced um, system functions. All right. Thank you, Ray. Thank you. Any other questions from the board members regarding the director's report? Hearing now none, we'll now have public comment. Thank you, President Scott. And for this agenda item, we'll have uh, in-person public comment, remote public comment, and I'll be reading aloud submitted written public comment. So in public comment is now, um, or public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first, then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. And now we'll begin with any in-person public comment. And as we are going to begin this public comment, if you've heard a portion of your statement being made by a predecessor public commenter, it would be helpful if you not repeat that. I'm not trying to restrict anyone or restrict the time, but that you not repeat the same thing that may have been said right before you. So I'm asking everyone to be attentive to each other as they are making their public comments, please. Thank you. Uh, you just ripped off half my speech. <laughs> All right. Anyway, Fred Sanchez, protect our benefits as it is, you know, uh, Good afternoon to the board, to the executive director. Uh, it's very clear, very, very complex, ongoing. It won't be decided today. Uh, how I became aware of this is a director of actually Firefighters Union 798 who's here today so he can comment on a lot of the things that I was going to talk about. Uh, he brought it to my attention because his mother's friend, a retired city teacher, got a letter from UC, and we're still trying to figure out how did UC decide who got the letters and who didn't get the letters. Uh, and the letters essentially said what you've already talked, that they weren't going to pay for United Healthcare Medicare Advantage, uh, which is an out-of-network, hasn't been in-network in over 10 years. So, but what we are really concerned is these seniors, who are by far the most vulnerable group, uh, many on fixed in incomes of below $30,000 annually, they simply can't afford to pay for this out of pocket. They paid for their health service plan their whole career with the expectation that they would have outstanding health care in their golden years. I was happy to see that it's in the director's report because that really brings light to the subject. Clearly more dialogue and education must take place before a decision can be made. 
I suggest UCSF, the medical group, the UNC people, the doctors, and patients who are wanting this care can sit down and come to some reasonable accommodation that at the very least a continuous for another year and what they're doing because open enrollment is in October and these people are in a panic and there's not much competition. Who are they going to go to? And then when they call up doctors because some are already doing that, I'm sorry we're not taking any new patients. So this is... Uh, something that is very complex and here in the city of St. Francis, let compassion prevail and don't throw the seniors out with the bathwater. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Other public comment in the room? Please approach the podium. I know. Uh, good afternoon. My name is Jeremiah Cadigan. I'm a director at Local 798 San Francisco Firefighters. Uh, I'd like to thank the board, uh, Special Executive Director uh, Abby Yant, for uh, we had some dialogue regarding this. We've had, uh, I was contacted by uh, members who were receiving bills and, and pretty much as the uh, directors had told, uh, get a new plan. And uh, I don't want to uh, repeat my brother Fred uh, too much, but the uh, the group that's being told to get a new plan or pay up front are one of the groups that's going to have the hardest time getting a new plan or paying up front. So I appreciate your guys making this a uh, a issue amongst uh, United and uh, whatever we could do to maybe encourage them to come to an agreement and work something out just for the benefit of uh, of our retired. Uh, members would it's greatly appreciated thank you thank for you your much. comment you. other public comment oh, other firefighter uh, good afternoon commissioners director Yant. Uh, I just want to put on the record seeing how it's important today Name. that um, the firefighters active and retired both support all the comments that have been said already at this dais. And just a thought, if four of the five UCs have come into contract, that means the issues for us are very glaring and out there and should be directly addressed. Everything else seems to be working fine. Thank you. Name, please, for the record. For the record, who are you? Uh, Dennis Kruger, Thank active you. and retired firefighters and spouses. Thank you. I know who he is, but there may be others that don't. For the are, record. Is there other public comment in the room? Okay, take your time thinking about it. Oh, she's been emailing me, okay. Uh, good afternoon. Um, I don't know how to address everybody because now we're, I'm going to ask up, you please? to don't speak up, it. please. Okay. Claire, I'll do this. Um, Thank you. I'm sorry, I don't know how to address everyone. I wasn't really planning on speaking. My name is Kim Lee. I'm a retiree from um, City College of San Francisco. Um, I want to talk about personal experience and, moreover, my concern 
as the gentleman expressed for others who may not be able to um, handle all the <laughs> confusion that's going on. Um, so first of all, I want to say as far as trying to find a new primary care physician, which is what I was told to do, um, I was given a list by UHC of about 10, 10 physicians. Uh, one of them, I noticed the name was recognizable to me. The reason? She was my daughter's pediatrician. So five of the people on the list were pediatric doctors. That didn't really help the Medicare Advantage folks. Um, another person who was on the list was a geriatrician. Wow, they're hard to find. Called him up. Oh, he doesn't do that anymore. He hasn't done that for ages. He's now, he's now in dermatology. So even though you can call up and try to find somebody new, chances are you know, it's going to be really, really difficult. Um, another thing I wanted to say was my experience is kind of interesting because uh, the reason I found out about this was because I was called, a kind of a cold call, one I normally wouldn't even pick up. But I picked up, and the young woman, I think her name was Jennifer or something like that, she said she was calling from UHC. And she was calling uh, to see if I needed my wellness checkup with my primary care physician. And she was very friendly and um, offered to make the call for me to my primary care physician. So she'd been so nice. I said, do you get credit for this? She said, yes. I said, well, then go ahead. I can make the call myself. But if you get credit, if you get credit, then go ahead. She made the call, found out that my primary care physician was not taking UHC anymore. So what's the irony of that? UHC rep called, found out that UHC is not, you know, approving UCSF primary care physicians. I'll leave it at that. I have another little anecdote, but I'll leave it at that as my time is up. I hope that was helpful. Thank, Thank you, you for your comment. Thank you. Is there other public comment in the room? Uh, board Secretary, is there public comment on the line? Thank you, President Scott. I'll be checking. We have five callers on the line, and two callers have raised their hand at this time. Uh, please um, be advised that there'll be a three-second pause as we transition between callers. I'll unmute the first caller. Welcome, caller. Hello, this is uh, Sharon Johnson. I'm a retired city and county employee. And I, uh, first of all, I want to say thank you to Director Yant for doing, uh, for her report and the follow-up that's going on between uh, UHC and um, University of California. I would concur with everybody who has spoken about what they know and care about in terms of our seniors that are in members of the health service system and will support you in any way to continue getting these people to negotiate. As uh, the director said, it takes a village, and the village includes uh, 
as our last speaker, as a patient who uh, did not receive the best service that she could have received. So uh, let's all join together and do what we can for our uh, members. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Thank you, caller. We have one more caller with a raised hand. I'll unmute the caller now. Welcome, caller. This is Herbert Weiner. Uh, in addition to the email I sent you, I have the following comments. I am a disturbed shareholder of United Healthcare stock and receive its health benefits as well. UHC is fifth in the Fortune 500 with profit. Caller? I think we've lost connection. Let me make sure we can get you back. Caller? Oh. Herb Weiner, are you able to hear us? Uh, yeah. Okay, uh, continue. I, I'm, in addition to the email I sent, I have the following comments. Uh, United Healthcare is fifth in the Fortune 500 with profits of $20,120,000,000 in, in profits. <coughs> and given its revenue of $324,162,000,000, I find it difficult my account reimburse UCSF. The worst victims of UHC fiscal retention are the patients who must frantically search for physicians who already have excessive demand and backup in appointments. Now, this would be manageable if retirees had another plan uh, than Kaiser, who could also be, and Kaiser is also overloaded. But retirees are stuck between two plans. As a disturbed shareholder and beneficiary, United Health, I am requesting, if not demanding, that they compensate UCSF for their services in order that I may hold my shares in United Health Pairing Conscience. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Is there other public comment online? We have five callers on the line. Zero callers have raised their hand at this time. With that, public comment, uh, or with that, we'll move to written public comment. All right, public comment. Uh, we have written emails that have come to the board during the course of the last few days regarding this topic, and the board secretary will summarize those emails at this time. Thank you, President Scott. One of those emails was by Herbert Wiener, who just um, spoke. Another email that came in was from Larry Bassetti, the Secretary of the San Francisco Veteran Police Officers Association, who also con expressed concern over the city and county of San Francisco UCSF UHC uh, negotiations and urged the board to influence in any and all influence they can for a quick resolution with the Medicare Advantage contracts. The third email that came in was T Timothy O'Brien, Secretary Treasurer for the Retired Firefighters and Spouses Association, also urged the board to advocate for a fair resolution with a problem between the UCSF and UHC. The fourth email that came in was Luis Facada, CCSF retiree, and shared her concern for the risk of having the request for the medical services not being adhered to 
with UCSF and UHC, and she requested that the board use any and all influence to help with a swift resolution for the Medicare Advantage contracts. Fifth email that came in was Linda B. Tabor Beck, who urged the board to do anything they can to encourage both parties, UHC and UCSF, for a resolution as soon as possible. The sixth email that came in was from Robert Price, City College of San Francisco retiree, who urged the board to do anything within their influence to help with a resolution for the UCSF and UC um, contract. Seventh email that came in was Deborah Walensky, City College of San Francisco retiree, who urged the board to find a swift resolution for the Medicare Advantage contracts. The eighth email that came in was Louise Scott from Protect Our Benefits and Retired Employees of San Francisco and City County of San Francisco, and is also a, a convener of the Federation of Retired Union Members, and urged the board to do whatever means possible to support the equitable resolution between UCSF and UHC. The ninth email that came in was from Sharon Walensky, a retiree who urged the board to do anything within their influence and control upon the USCSF and UHC uh, resolution. The tenth email that came in was from Denise Selick, a CCSF retired instructor, who urged the board to do anything and within their influence upon the UCSF and UHC uh, resolution of their contracts. And the eleventh email that came in was from Dogs Ron Sigamoto, a retired SF firefighter captain who urged the board to do anything within their influence for a quick resolution with the Medicare Advantage contracts. And with that, there's no more written public comment, and right. we can close public comment. All right, public comment on this item is closed. I'm going to claim the privilege of the chair to offer the following motion on behalf of this board. I move that the HSS board give its strong commendation and support to Executive Director Abby Yant for her initiative and leadership to date in prompting discussions between UC United Healthcare and the University of California uh, San Francisco Health System. The UC, the HSS board directs Executive uh, Director Yant to continue to insist that UC United Healthcare and the University of California San Francisco uh, Health System immediately undertake negotiations by convening meetings to exchange specific proposals that will lead to a working contractual relationship between the parties which will be a benefit to HHS members. Further, the HSS Board directs Executive Director Yant to work with the UCSF Medical Group to ascertain that accurate, sensitive, and timely information be provided to HSS members who are trying to schedule appointments with the UCSF Medical Group. Second. It's been properly moved and seconded that this motion uh, for action be adopted. Are there comments from the board? I'm, this sounds uh, quite appropriate, um, and I just want again um, thank Director Yan for working with other employer groups in the city as part of these efforts, and make sure that that this memo in, um, supports that intent to band together with other employer groups uh, in this effort. All right, thank you. Any other board comments? Hearing none, we'll entertain public comment on this motion. Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. 
Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first, then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the media on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. Fred Sanchez, Prector, uh, President of Protect Our Benefits. Uh, I applaud the motion, it's appropriate. And I, I wanna say I don't speak for them, but when you hear Protect Our Benefits, we work very closely with retired employees, city and county of San Francisco, CARA, the Great Panthers. Unfortunately, CARA's meeting is at the same time as here, or they would be here. So we're all together on this. We learn from Prop C that united, we are far stronger. So it's a lot of people, not just protect our benefits. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Anyone else uh, in the room? Public comment on this motion. Be well, Leo. Hi, once again, Kim Lee, retiree from CCSF. Um, it's a wonderful motion. Uh, thank you for coalescing everything uh, into one statement. My only uh, concern is that uh, people might not know about what's happening unless they call to make an appointment. And so I think it would be good for members to be apprised of what's happening before they happen to, you know, make an appointment, because oftentimes we don't make appointments until we need them. So um, if the language could be uh, uh, adjusted a little bit to not just people who call, but maybe a, a statement to go out to all the people who are in the UCSF system. I don't know. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Any other public comment in the room? If not, is there a public comment online? Thank you, President Scott. I'll be checking our virtual public comment. And we have five callers on the line. Two callers on the line have raised their hand, and there'll be a brief pause as we transition between callers. I'll unmute the first caller. Welcome, caller. Caller, we can hear you in the room. I'll be I'll be muting this person that may have been a um, a leftover. Um, I'll move to the next caller. And all hands have been lowered. All right. With Thank that, we you. can close public comment. Public comment on this motion has been closed. We're now ready for a roll call vote. Roll call vote starting with President Scott. Aye. Commissioner Breslin. Aye. Commissioner Canning. Aye. Commissioner Follinsby. Aye. And Commissioner Zvansky. Aye. The motion carries unanimously. And I would ask that Director Yant take into uh, account in following the intent of this motion that as necessary, we may need to have a communication to our members about this particular issue or those who are seeking services uh, to at UCSF at, a, at some future point. Yeah, I, I would just like to comment because that is uh, a due consideration. We actually have a draft notice that we would send out to um, 
either a select audience or all members of, uh, of that product uh, under review at United as we speak. Our concern is that with the number of claims that are coming through and people are receiving services that we will uh, you know, create, create a worried well uh, call demand, you know, uh, uh, stress on our members that would be um, expressed to us through an increase in calls as we're getting ready for open enrollment. Um, and so that's, it's a balancing act. Um, and we do speak about this every day. And if, so that's why, you know, any feedback that any of our members have about the information that they're receiving, good, bad, or indifferent, um, please let us know. And um, we'll, we're just going to stay on top of this. Hopefully this effort will be short-lived and this contract will get signed and we can move on to other things. So. All right. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. All right. With that, we're now ready uh, to move on to the financials, uh, item eight. Thank you, President Scott. Agenda item number eight is SFHSS financial report as of May 31st, 2023. This is a discussion item and will be presented by SFHSS Chief Financial Officer Iftikhar Hussein. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Chief Financial Officer. How are you after a month of not being here? <laughs> <laughs> Doing well, and thank you. Um, the um, okay, so um, uh, I'm going to get some help to get the uh, the slide up. Thank you. Um, yeah, so we so the one uh, development since last month is the audit uh, has started. We are in the middle of our um, close for the year end. Um, and um, and as we close the auditors here, and, and so that activity um, is continuing. Uh, the uh, financials I'm presenting are as of May, uh, and the um, uh, the message actually is pretty consistent with prior months. Uh, this this year, you'll see in the report that the claims are higher, but a lot of the increase in claims happened in the later half of last calendar plan year. Uh, this calendar, this plan year, uh, since January, the claims have been very stable. Uh, we had some large claims last year that accounted for a large increase, and we are not, luckily, we're not seeing those uh, this year yet. Um, the uh, trust balance actually is uh, pretty stable. Uh, interest, uh, you'll notice, is, is um, uh, quite a bit higher than what we saw last year due to the high interest rates. Uh, the pharmacy rebates are also are higher, corresponding to a higher uh, pharmacy spend. Our programs are working effectively to audit and capture those claims. And uh, as far as the projection for year-end, uh, we do have, um, so we're stating that we're coming close to budget, but we're actually going to come in quite a bit ahead uh, because of the vacancies we've had in our staffing. Are there questions of the Chief Financial Officer, Hussain? Hearing none, we'll now move to public comment. Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first, and then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium, so we'll move to our virtual public comment. 
And we have four callers on the line. Zero callers have raised their hand at this time. We'll give a five-second uh, pause for anyone who may want to raise their hand or join the call. There are no callers in the queue at this time. Public comment is now closed. Thank you. Uh, at this point, I'm going to uh, ask that we will go into recess for a period of about 13 minutes. Uh, we will reconvene at 2.30.
Good afternoon again. We're out of recess. I'm going to ask the board secretary to call the roll. Thank you, President Scott. Begin with roll call, starting with President Scott. Present. Commissioner Breslin. Here. Commissioner Canning. Present. Commissioner Follinsby. Present. And Commissioner Zvansky. Present. With that, we have a quorum. We do have a quorum, and so we will now proceed with item number nine. Thank you, President Scott. Agenda item number nine is Board Education, Healthcare Ecosystem, and Market Overview. This is a discussion item and will be presented by Mike Clark with Aon and SFHSF Chief Financial Officer Iftikhar Hussein. Uh, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Please. Hi, I'd like to do an introduction to this education session and that the Health Service Board does an education uh, plan every year. So to remind uh, the board that this year the requested education topics were healthcare cost trends, equity data reporting, and data transparency. So these education sessions, of course, are open to the public and members are encouraged to attend. Um, and we will be asking the commissioners to complete an education evaluation after every session uh, within a week when we know it's still fresh. Um, and uh, so be looking for that in your email. And with that, I will turn it over to Mike and Iftikhar. Uh, before he begins, uh, it was a very, uh, I would say, in some ways, painful conclusion to the last benefits cycle as we had some very uh, difficult decisions to make. And amongst those decisions were ones that have resulted in uh, some of the discussion that uh, preceded this particular agenda item and opened this meeting today. And it's my hope that coming out of these uh, education sessions over the next week that we will use this not only as a board but uh, encourage the general public to refer to these presentations in this section of the agenda as we go into the benefit cycle starting in January of next year because it is kind of an overview and that's what the board requested that we jointly educate ourselves about what the mega trends are what the environment is what real things can this board do and what things may take some effort by other partners here in the city and county of San Francisco. So with that, Michael, welcome back. You've had a month off. I know you've been rested, and I thank you for preparing these presentations. No, absolutely. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Mike Clark from AON. Uh, Chief Financial Officer Hussein and I will co-present on uh, healthcare ecosystem and market review. Uh, while realizing that ecosystem is a biological term, you will see a slide in this deck that truly shows how complex uh, and interconnected our healthcare uh, system is, and so the reference to ecosystem. Uh, so we'll start with some background on the board education modules through, uh, today through December. Uh, just talk about the complexity in our U.S. healthcare system. Uh, that includes some slides that uh, Chief Financial Officer Hussein was able to source uh, from a great report that's referenced. So we have some appendix slides, and you'll see the name of this report in the appendix item, but we also have brought up some of those slides into the main presentation that he'll go through. Uh, we'll talk about health system merger and acquisition impacts, as Executive Director Yan talked about, uh, two big ones happening concurrently uh, here in the Bay Area. 
Uh, we'll talk about strategic focuses for health vendor innovation. Uh, CFO Hussein will walk through some uh, initial consideration factors for RFI and RFP, knowing that Michael will present uh, more thoroughly on this later in today's meeting. Um, health Service Board, uh, kind of outlining uh, view, views on control versus influence, and then finally just a recap of the modules that uh, we'll be presenting to you in September, November, and December. So as background on page four, uh, at the health service meeting, uh, service board meetings in late May and early June, uh, request was made to better understand just what are current state developments in healthcare, uh, what's out there for vendor innovations, and also conversation around how benefit uh, design can support the SFHSS strategic plan. So today is just background on US healthcare ecosystem, as well as introducing these three education modules um, in September, present on market and health system innovation, module two, benefit design and assessment tools in November, and then uh, wrapping up in December with future state opportunities for SFHSS. And page five, just presents a really nice pictorial, uh, going a little deeper into expectations on the agendas uh, for September, November, and December. You know, where overall you see there at the top, you know, the framework is to incorporate strategic goals throughout um, for SFHSS, foster equity, advanced primary care, uh, affordable and sustainable, supporting mental health and well-being, and optimizing service. So when you look at the um, healthcare system, we'll talk a lot here on the next couple slides about both public financing and private financing. Um, you know, there's roughly a 50-50 split um, in this country between public and private financing. And as planned sponsors, uh, you know, kind of deal with this very complex system and how that impacts employer-provided healthcare, you know, the reality is that you know, healthcare providers, so that includes hospitals, doctors, other practitioners, pharmacies, and labs, have to operate within a very, very complex uh, revenue source and regulatory ecosystem. And I'm not gonna go through this chart, but I, I think it's an accurate representation of the environment that these providers have to operate in and the many, many uh, influencers, whether it's government influencers, health plans, employers, uh, you know, private insurance, um, and so forth, that operate within, you know, what we call US healthcare. So this slide, this slide kind of shows you what you already suspected. The uh, US, uh, the cost of healthcare in the US uh, is higher uh, than uh, other countries, both developed and developing countries, uh, both in terms of uh, cost per capita or spending per capita, as well as a percentage of uh, GDP. And the higher cost is not uh, really uh, correlated to higher quality as measured by uh, life expectancy. Okay, on the next slide. Uh, this slide, very busy, but what it shows you, the blue line, just uh, call your attention to the blue line, which is the rate of inflation on, on healthcare spending versus the, um, the gold line, which is CPI. Uh, since 1969, you can see consistently that the healthcare inflation has outpaced general inflation as well as the green line, which is GDP. And, um, and, and so as you see the CPI going up, healthcare costs actually go up higher than the CPI, and that's a, 
takeaway here. The other point to note is that the very last blue shaded section is when the ACA was passed and coverage was expanded. And actually, that, that increase in healthcare cost um, was quite a bit lower than, than tip in prior years. Um, so actually, the ACA really, really did not increase um, spending on healthcare more so than other events in the past. Okay. Uh, the next slide on slide nine, you can see uh, spending by age group. Um, clearly, a very sharp increase by age. And um, uh, really a function of the uh, intensity of services as people get sick, uh, age uh, higher and get sick. The differences between male and female really are due to maternity and the longer longevity at the high end for, um, for uh, women. Okay. I, I'm, eight, I'm uh, dating myself, but I can remember very clearly in a responsibility before my retirement where the GDP was 7% of gross national product. Yeah, and now healthcare is 18% of our right. gross domestic product <laughs> and climbing. So uh, with that background, and I mentioned earlier, you know, roughly 50-50, it's actually 46% of U.S. healthcare spend in 2021, uh, the last measured year. Uh, or 1.65 trillion, that's a lot of money, came through Medicare, Medicaid, and other public insurance programs. Uh, just as a refresher, Medicare uh, covers those age 65 plus, as well as qualified disabled Americans, and those qualifying with end-stage renal disease, uh, Medicaid, primarily low-income Americans, and the Children's Health Program. And to note, this percentage has been increasing over the course of time. So if you go back and look at, let's say, where this percentage was uh, 20 years ago, you know, 20 years prior in 2001, it was 39%. You know, where it was in 2011, 43%. And now it's 46%. And the pressure this puts then on employer-sponsored healthcare is with providers being paid more and more of their revenue from government sources, which you know tend to be lower reimbursements. It just puts that much more pressure on the prices that are charged uh, through you know private insurance, employer-sponsored health care. Um, you can see you know what's really causing a lot of this rise, you know, the government programs, obviously the, the federal mon money directed to programs like Medicare and Medicaid, uh, who dictate the reimbursement guidelines uh, to hospitals and doctors. And so for providers to balance their revenue needs, um, higher prices need to go to other forms um, and other patients to recoup the shortfall on what they're receiving from the government. Page 11, just noting uh, key stakeholder positions um, in, in what really is overall a $4 trillion um, system. You know, obviously the health systems, um, like we've talked a lot about UCSF today, uh, who remain financially strong enough to survive, uh, to continue to drive their growth. Um, some of it happening organically, but a lot of it through merger and acquisition as well. But we know uh, the labor pressures uh, these health systems are experiencing. We talked a lot about that during the rates and benefits cycle. Uh, to the lower left, health plan administrators and insurers, uh, so like your partners, Blue Shield, Kaiser, United Healthcare, et cetera, uh, constantly pressed to deliver optimal cost control uh, via provider discounts and fees, 
while advancing member advocacy and health improvement platforms. So there's a lot uh, plans are asked to do competing in an ever-expanding uh, new solution marketplace where we're seeing a lot of it funded by what you see at the upper right. Uh, private equity firms and large retailers like Amazon and Walmart uh, getting more and more into the healthcare space. Why? Because it's one out of every $5 uh, we spend in this country. They see substantial revenue potential um, with their digital and distribution solutions that can improve access to healthcare, you know, with their goals of improving uh, individual health. And then government programs, I mean, continue to be a foundational uh, part of how healthcare is delivered in this country, you know, but they obviously need to continue to act to limit growth in public program funding. Uh, so just some recent examples. Medicare redetermination process, you've read a lot about that in the news. Um, I talked at length in June about the CMS funding changes for Medicare Advantage plans. Uh, so those are just two recent examples. So again, it creates pressure back to those health systems uh, from their government sources that continue to result in higher and higher prices for employer-sponsored health plans. Can I make one comment on the slide? Um, maybe it's just my cynical side, but the last uh, phrase under private equity firms, ultimately improving individual health, I th you, you, you actually said the goal was, and I think that's their promise, um, but this is a revenue decisions. And so they, I think that what we as consumers in all aspects see are promises of better health care. But um, I think I'm not quite sure if you have evidence that this has actually improved individual health care. If not, I might amend that statement to unless you have, can, can show me proof about improvement in health care with all these um, movements. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm suspicious. Um, your uh, skepticism is well founded. I agree <laughs> that. Um, and, and one of the things that we try to do, for instance, in my organization and other organizations in health consulting, is trying to understand the value, the, the evidence of success that these organizations are delivering when they promise, you know, better management of musculoskeletal care, better, um, you know, care protocols for cancer patients or heart patients, um, you know, a lot of the new players that we're seeing come out in the mental health space. Uh, for instance, you know, just trying to respond to marketplace needs. I mean, there's no question in a private equity environment, the altruistic goal of these organizations, uh, the ultimate goal is to try to drive revenue uh, for the investors. But, you know, doing so in a way that is trying to promote an idea, promote a concept that can, you know, hopefully improve member health, hopefully lower trend lines for employers. But I would say, a lot of it is largely unproven at this point. But, you know, organizations like us are trying to understand, you know, company by company, you know, what seems to be working out there. Uh, from a merger and acquisition standpoint, um, you know, we just cite a couple studies on this page uh, that were recently performed, uh, one in 2020 by the Kaiser Family Foundation you know, observing uh, just the higher cost elements uh, that result uh, from integration, including, you know, one observation in California about highly concentrated hospital markets, um, you know, found an increase in the share of physicians and practices owned by a hospital, came with a 12% increase in premiums uh, for private plans sold in uh, California's marketplace. 
you know, in May 2022, a health affairs study, um, you know, showing vertical integration between physicians and large health systems, you know, led to pretty substantial increases in primary care physician prices and specialist prices. And we do have the references here at the bottom of the page. So if you wanted to see the source um, articles, those are, um, you know, on, on the bottom of these pages. And then, of course, the latest Bay Area News, uh, UCSF in talks to acquire uh, St. Mary's Medical Center, St. Francis Memorial Hospital, and then uh, yeah. uh, Executive Director Yant mentioned the John Muir uh, San Ramon Medical Center. So, you know, focuses for health vendor innovation, you know, for SFHSS, it's been primarily on HMO network strategies, um, you know, trying to partner with optimal health plans uh, for effective and affordable care to members. There certainly is the PPO plan available uh, to members who prefer a more open provider access model and to provide coverage for those who live outside of HMO plan areas. So for active employees and early retirees, that's a non-Medicare PPO plan. And for uh, Medicare retirees, that's a United Healthcare um, MA PPO plan. HMO plan choice was expanded for active employees and early retirees uh, with Health Net Canopy Care coming alongside the Blue Shield HMOs and the Kaiser HMO. And then the Medicare retirees um, you know, have UHC nationally, uh, but also you see Kaiser in certain regions. Um, noting that these plans do have the highest star rating uh, possible from the federal government at five stars, which is Medicare's measure of MA plan quality and performance. So, you know, strategic focuses, plan innovation comes from advancement of primary care initiatives, um, as well as advancement in advocacy models. And you can see the examples here that SFHSS is continually working uh, with the largest health plans. You know, with Kaiser, a lot of discussions about workforce health and well-being resources, you know, how to bring more awareness to those and engagement in those, as well as re review of health outcomes data, you know, where Kaiser does consistently deliver very high quality results. Uh, for Blue Shield HMOs, uh, frequent meetings with the two primary medical groups uh, in the ACO model, Brown and Toland, and health physicians uh, meeting with <coughs> leadership to review advanced primary care, health equity, mental health resource uh, focuses, and then with United Healthcare uh, MAPD, quarterly meetings to review clinical program engagement, geriatric care needs, and house calls program utilization. You know, certainly the goal is to continue to advance awareness and engagement for members to use the right services and programs at the right time. Uh, so we'll talk more about Just the RFP, but our... Commissioner Savansky, do you have a oh, question? I actually do, and I apologize for interrupting, because um, I know we're talking about UHC and UCSF in, in a lot of what we're dealing with here, but does Blue Shield have a contract with UCSF? Because I'm, I'm assuming that, and, and maybe wrong, um, that with the exception of Kaiser, most of these other groups like Blue Shield um, would have contracts with the U.S. UCSF medical groups? Yeah, so for instance, I mean, active employees and early retirees have um, UCSF access through those plans. Um, okay. So, so, I mean... It, so in, our, our deal here is just unique with UHC? Well, and, and Medicare Advantage right. plans specifically. Okay, thank you for the clarification. I appreciate that, Mike. Sorry. I, Oh, no worries, yeah. And so just to clarify, the UHC split family, which is a PPO for early retirees, 
does, is not affected by this. Right, because they're not Medicare Advantage. Correct. No, no. Correct. It's, it's gradually sinking in. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, the, um, okay, so let's, um, it's the RFP discussion. So every year, uh, so on an ongoing basis, we engage with our health plans and, um, uh, and work with them to uh, improve care, improve affordability, improve access, and every three to five years, we actually uh, open up our process to look at uh, um, uh, other health plans or uh, other people um, uh, who may be able to serve our um, members. So our goal in, um, in, in going through the RFP process is to look for um, uh, lower cost, uh, improving affordability, uh, and to look at uh, uh, high, high quality as well as to improve access. So there are um, uh, networks in Northern California where um, uh, if we can improve access to those uh, providers by broadening our network, that would be one of the goals um, of an RFP process. The, uh, for Medicare Advantage, um, our goal also is to, um, you know, one of the things we look for is, is a network reliability, uh, disruption in the network. And so we, be, we will be looking at partners uh, who can assure us that um, the disruption to the network is minimal while providing good care. Uh, for the dental plans, um, again, the um, same same theme of access and cost and quality uh, is what we would look for. Next slide. Um, so this uh, chart on this page describes what uh, the board has direct control over uh, and what it can influence. So the direct control on an annual basis, we look at this board, uh, uh, the uh, health plan design and the rates. And then um, on an infrequent as needed basis, we look, we look at to develop new policies, update our policies, and um, 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 RFP process um, as needed. On the influence side, uh, it really is things around um, having, making sure our members are aware of the services that we offer, as well as um, impacting policy and educating our members on the, on the effects of those policies long term. I, I would, uh, I'm going to take a leaf from uh, Commissioner Fallon's book in terms of the title for this particular uh, slide in terms of control versus influence, and then you defined control via our authority to approve. Uh, and the first one of these is total health care uh, cost rates. Yes, we can <coughs> approve or disapprove of the rates after uh, extensive negotiations, but in terms of controlling what is provided to us from the health plans in terms of those rates, that's a back and forth that may or may not result in lower premiums. And I think that many times as we sit in these meetings, it's assumed that we have absolute control over the final outcome of the negotiation in terms of premium rates and we clearly do not. We can get into very aggressive uh, uh, negotiations with our health plan partners. Uh, we can uh, look at uh, RFP as a way to try to impact total costs, but in the moment, in any given year, we don't absolutely have all of the control. It is just about our authority to approve, and a lot of the <coughs> Uh, out of sight 
activity is really done between our actuary and uh, the HHS staff. That's what we charge them to do, to be very, very thorough in their analysis as well as their negotiation with their health plans. So I, that's just a clarifying point on this uh, particular slide, and it's one that I think we need to be reminded of as we go forward. Right. Commissioner, um, yes. I, I would add that um, instead of the term approve, I, in my mind, it's accept. <laughs> okay. Because um, what, what finally comes before us, yes, we approve as a board because that's our authority, but we're actually accepting what has been presented to us and because we can't say we're not going to approve it, go back to the drawing board. That rarely happens. So just, I don't want to change any documents, but yeah. just understanding the reality of what I see us having to do here. It's really accepting what's presented. Yeah, May was a good example. All right. Yes. Exactly. Thank you. Just approved it, and even though it may be unaffordable for a lot of people. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Really. So who is on our negotiating team? <laughs> so okay, it is. Yes. Reveal that. No. <laughs> yes. So, Abby. You, yeah. The executive director leads our yeah. negotiation yeah. on behalf of this board. She's charged with that. Yeah. yeah, there is a team. Our team is here. Ray, yeah, so Car, Mike, Ann, and myself, and yeah. other managers Ray, as needed. Mike and uh, Michael Visconti. Michael, Michael, of course. Visconti, our contracts manager, make sure we're doing everything legal. All right, <laughs> so it's at, uh, the executive director, the chief operating officer, the chief financial officer, and the manager of contracting. Or is it director of contracting? I'm not sure of the title, but manager or director of contracting. Those are the staff that, uh, that we, as a system, have charged to work on our behalf day in and day out around this particular issue. And our chief actuary <laughs> is responsible for clearly looking at claims data, health plan trends, contracting issues, and making comparisons external as well as internal. Uh, to what he's seeing and recommending in terms of trends uh, regarding uh, how health plans are operating. So that's kind of where we are. And in my experience in this field for over 40 years, it had, those dynamics have not changed. Uh, it's a matter of trying to get the partners and be in constant conversation, as was alluded to in a prior slide, so that you can anticipate where some of these things are going. Well, in order to negotiate, really negotiate, you have to have a good negotiating team, but you also have to have an alternative so you can say, we're done with you. And that's what we really need. And that would be great in the abstract. That's probably true. But in reality, we all know that to make a health plan change is a major, major undertaking not only because of the contracting, but also the impact upon our members. So it's not undertaken lightly, but it has to be done with some large uh, and anticipated forethought on our part, whenever that would come to pass. Can I, I just, I, I, without prolonging this too long, I just want to say that over my term, 
on this board. I would say that the HSS has made really tremendous progress in our ability to understand through our all claims database and lots of efforts that are going on for the HSS. And so we have had opportunities to review and approve one or two, one of two options for plan features in terms of co-pays and all that, for new um, proposals for plans that increase the cost. And we're asking for accountability for some of those decisions we've made in the past. Well, what's the impact? We've been promised we will get accountability for some of these des design features as well. So I don't want to underplay the power this board has um, in reviewing this and, and, the, and the partnership with HSS, which I think is only, in my tenure, has only improved uh, in terms of our ability to actually um, influence and, and control, not only influence, but also control some of these issues. So it, this is complicated. There's no doubt about it, but thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this wraps up uh, our presentation. Just a restatement on page um, 17 of the modules coming up uh, in September, November, and December. And I won't go through the appendix slide, but some good information to review as well. So I know we've had a lot of discussion, but President Scott. Are there other questions or comments from the board regarding this overview presentation? If I could just make one comment. I, you've alluded to the, K, the KFF, the Kaiser Family Foundation. And all board members have access to all of their ongoing educational programs. And, and I've been taking part in some of them. And I, I just uh, listened to one on the issue about these new obesity drugs um, that is very enlightening. And they do tape these. These are available to all of us. And there, there are, it seems like a microcosm. But in fact, the microcosms all add up to our ability to control uh, and influence and control um, health care costs. And so I really urge all of us as board members and other people who have access to KFF because they do a very broad and deep dive into these issues on a big basis, but also on individual basis. And we, I think we just haven't even seen the ramifications of some of, some of this yet. Uh, they're, they're due to come um, uh, in the next uh, year or two or three or four. Yeah, and they also do outstanding daily email alerts. Anybody can go into their public website, sign up for daily alerts. Articles come out periodically. Like you said, it's an incredible resource. Right. All right. Thank you. Uh, we will now move to public comment on this item. Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first and then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star 3 to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium. We'll move to our remote public comment. And we have four callers on the line. Zero callers have raised their hand for the public comment queue at this time. We'll give a brief pause for anyone who may want to raise their hand for this public comment. There are no callers for public comment at this time, so hearing no callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you. We'll now move to item 10. Agenda item number 10 is a board education health care transition <coughs> from active employment to early retiree status. This is a discussion item and will be presented by Mike Clark with Aon. Mike Clark, Aon. I'm going to talk today about 
the implications uh, when an individual is transitioning from active employment to early retiree status on their health plan uh, benefits and member contributions. So just summarizing uh, to start, this uh, outlines those transitions in health plan contributions uh, as well as uh, plans in some case. On the left side of the page, you know, if there's, I guess this is the summary page of the presentation, so there's a lot of good information behind it, but if there was one page to reference, bottom line, you know, what stays the same? Uh, generally, the deductibles, co-pays, co-insurance, out-of-pocket maximums uh, for medical prescription drug plans and vision plans. So those remain the same uh, transitioning into early retirement and the member contributions to purchase the uh, BIOP or Premier Vision Plan. Uh, but what changes and what are the focuses uh, that are, uh, someone transitioning to early retirement would have? You know, first, the member contributions uh, for the medical drug and basic vision, as well as the dental coverages, uh, dental plan deductibles, uh, co-insurances and annual maximums, and then also just the recognition that um, uh, the employer provided life insurance, accidental death and dismemberment, and long-term disability insurance do end upon termination from active employment. Uh, page three just shows the distribution of total covered lives. So this is active employees, retirees, and dependents. You can see over the course of five years um, how the figures have changed. There's been an increase over time in the number of covered lives uh, through Medicare, uh, who are Medicare eligible. You can see that in the middle bars for each year. Uh, but on the full right side, um, you know, slight decline in the number of covered lives uh, who are early retirees. But it's still, you know, over 9,500 9, individuals are covered in some form, either as early retirees or dependents uh, through SFHSS health plans. And those plan costs are higher, you know, in early retirement uh, because there is no government uh, federal funding like there is as a Medicare retiree where the majority of funding is through the federal government um, as a Medicare retiree. So for the medical uh, prescription drug and basic vision plans, uh, SFHSS health plan contributions will generally increase, not always, um, if you're in the single tier, but generally will increase for a person transitioning to early retirement. And again, I, I bold, especially for those covering dependents, we'll talk about why during this presentation for two reasons. You know, first reason is just, you know, higher total cost rates uh, for early retirees versus active employees. Uh, so for instance, you saw on the slide that CFO Hussein presented just costs increase with age. And so uh, early retiree rates are higher than active uh, employee rates just because of the uh, higher cost on average of healthcare. Uh, but the second reason is differences in the employer contribution amounts uh, for the city contribution between active employees, uh, which are driven by the memorandums of understanding or MOUs and early retirees, which are driven by uh, city charter formulas where those differences increase as you cover more dependents. So on the next page, you know, we show what those 2024 uh, member contributions on a monthly basis. Um, so if you go to the page, you'll see, for instance, you know, page, uh, page five. Uh, Commissioners, what? Breslin. Uh, 
the, uh, the second. Microphone. Sorry. The second reason, you know, uh, I clear. But the first reason is not clear to me when I look at the charter. Higher cost raised for early versus active employees. Because the monthly, co here's the charter, monthly cost of health coverage for retired persons may be higher than the monthly cost of coverage for active employees, which is what that's saying. The city and county, the school district, community college shall contribute funds sufficient to defray the difference in costs to system and providing the same health coverage. The only difference in the charter would be the MOUs. So right. I don't think that first reason applies or shouldn't apply. We shouldn't. Yeah, and we'll, and we'll talk about how the city charter balances that for the retiree portion of cost. But when the charter says this, then how, how can they say, well, you know, that's part of the problem, and yet they're not supposed to consider the difference in the cost? Um, so the city charter does provide for the difference in total rate between employee-only um, as an active employee and early retiree only as part of the city contribution. So for instance, if you look at page five, you know, the, the big reason why plans like Trio, uh, Canopy Care and Kaiser actually have a lower retiree contribution for the retiree only tier than for the active employee tier for 93, 93, 83, is because of that full differential and the total cost rate um, for the early retiree only versus the active employee only is provided for as a city contribution for the early retiree. And I'll, I'll review that in a couple slides. I think the charter clearly wants it to be, not to be anymore and, and you know, exclude these people and except for the MOU. <coughs> Would you continue? Yeah, so these are the, um, so for the active employees who are City, County of San Francisco, we show the two active employee MOUs, uh, the 93, 93, on the left, which represents the percentage uh, that the city is contributing towards the total cost of health care uh, for each of those tiers, um, you know, for the active employees. And then the early retirees are based on the full city uh, charter contribution, which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, I know at the last meeting it was requested, you know, how many early retirees uh, fall into each of the tiering buckets. You can see that 64%, um, almost 3,500 retiree only, but about one in three early retirees in SFHSS do cover at least one dependent. Uh, 482 individuals are recovering uh, retiree plus two or more. Um, so page six is just a pictorial um, exhibit of the active employee um, city contribution. And just noting on page seven uh, for SFUSD and uh, city college employees, the employer contributions are determined based on agreements those organizations have uh, with their employers. Uh, you know, you can kind of read the, um, the description here, generally anchored to the 10 county amount, and then uh, we'll have agreements for employee plus one, employee plus two or more. Uh, most superior court employees uh, pay no contributions for, you know, medical RX and basic vision. So we tend to focus on the CCSF um, active employees when we go through rate cards, but uh, just to give you some information on how that works with the other uh, three employers. 
but all the employers uh, come together under one city charter um, as retirees. And so four retirees were hired on or before January 9th, 2009, you know, they received the full city contribution, uh, which you can see are based on three uh, building elements. So the first element that is the same for all plans and what's always approved every year in March is the 10 county amount. So that's determined by uh, the annual survey and it's the same dollar amount for all plans and all dependent tiers. And as you'll see on the next page, that's what's going to be represented in the lighter blue bar. Um, second element, uh, that's gonna be represented on the next page by the darker blue bar is um, you know what we call the actual difference, but it's essentially what I was talking about earlier. This is the provision of the city charter contribution that basically bridges that gap in retiree only versus active employee rate for each given plan. So that provision that is trying to make the early retiree you know more or less whole for the difference in total cost rate uh, from uh, active employment into retirement. This is the specific element that addresses that and how city charter uh, contributions are calculated. And then there's a second element, what you'll see in the um, gold bar on the next page that varies for each of the plans and that's the retiree Prop E contribution. And you know, the way I think about it is, you know, when you start with your total cost rate as a retiree, and then you deduct out the 10 county, you deduct out the actual difference, what's left is essentially paid for 50% by the city for both the retiree only tier and the retiree plus one tier. Now this is a very important distinction here because this Prop E contribution, you know, as you then see on pictorially on page nine, um, and we show it for you know the two highest enrolled plans, Access Plus and Kaiser, you can see how that amount is higher for retiree plus one than it is for retiree only. You know, when the other two bars are the same all the way across. But the key distinction then when you're covering two or more dependents as a retiree is you're only getting city funding for the first retiree. So that's why the bars are basically the exact same between retiree plus one and retiree plus two or more. So, you know, the impacts for the early retiree from the way the city contribution formula works. So first of all, most of the dollars paid uh, by the employers go to the retiree in coverage, not the dependents. And you can see that you know, pretty clearly. I mean, the bar is appreciably um, covered most of the way in retiree plus one by what the retiree only gets. The Prop E portion of the formula provides some city contribution for the first dependent, but a far lower dollar amount than for the retiree in coverage. And then again, there is no city contribution for the second and further dependent in retiree coverage. So that retiree has to pay the full cost increment between retiree plus one total rate and retiree plus two plus total rate to cover those second and higher dependents. So, you know, contrast this to as an active employee, I may be getting a lower percentage 
you know, when I go from employee plus one at 93% or 96% to employee plus two or more at 83, but I'm still getting 83% total funding from the city as an active employee. You know, contrast that where you can see in these charts that the incremental amount for your first dependent is a lot less than it is for the base city charter contribution for the retiree, and then there's no incremental contribution with adding that second and further dependent. So I'll pause uh, in case you have any questions after having gone through that. Um, so if you like pictures, page nine is for you. If you like words, page 10 is for you. Um, you know, what I try to explain here is if you're a CCFSF employee in either the 93, 93, 83, which is the middle column, or in 196, 83, which is the right column, and then transitioning to early retiree status, you know, when you're an employee and just covering yourself, it's a relatively modest difference. There are some plans you actually pay less in retirement. There are some plans you pay more, uh, but generally speaking, you know, if you're 93, 93, 83, it's, it's similar. Obviously, as 196, 83, you're going from paying nothing because of the 100 um, to paying something. But then the gap starts to widen as you take on one dependent, and then it's the widest gap because you're not getting incremental city funding uh, for the second or further dependent. So that's going through the full city contribution picture for those hired um, on or before January 9th, 2009. If you're hired after January 9th, 2009, uh, there was a change in the uh, city contribution based on your years of service. So if you have at least five, but less than 10, you don't get a city contribution if you're hired after January 9, 2009. Right. You know, 10, but not quite 15, 50% of that amount, 15, but not quite 20, 75% of that amount. It takes at least 20 years of service in order to achieve the full city contribution if you were hired after January 9th, 2009. So at the bottom here, you know, I stress this will become increasingly important for these individuals who contemplate retirement into the future. Right now, there's actually 136 retirees, at least based on data that Ren provided to us um, a couple months ago, that are hired after January 9th, 2009, who are retired and receiving less than the full city contribution for retiree coverage. So the full picture, page 12, and this replicates a slide that you saw in our May 25th uh, lead-in document for the rates and benefits renewals uh, for active employees and early retirees. You know, what you see is the full picture about total cost rates, um, how they vary for active employees and early retirees, uh, the employer contribution based on calculation formulas, as well as the resulting member contributions. And then just talking a little bit about dental and vision on page 13. Uh, so dental coverage does not vary whether you're Medicare or not. So for dental, we just say retirees. Um, it's one bucket of coverage, uh, no matter your age and retirement. 
Um, dental coverage does become fully member paid upon retirement. Um, so for the active employee PPO and the dental HMO plans, um, you'll generally pay higher amounts at time of service due to lower deductibles, higher co-insurance, higher plan annual maximum. There is some variance. There are actually some retiree uh, PPO plan provisions that are uh, a little more generous than the active. Um, we do have in the appendix, in case you wanted to compare and contrast, uh, the PPO designs for active employees and retirees. But the big difference comes in uh, the contribution you pay for coverage. You know, as an active employee in CCSF or court, you pay $5 a month for single, $10 for two-party, $15 for full family coverage per month. As a retiree, um, you pay the full amount. There is no city uh, funding for retiree dental coverage. And just a reminder, the SFUSD and City College employees do not receive dental plans through SFHSS, but they become eligible for the retiree uh, dental plan through SFHSS in retirement. And then as I mentioned before, uh, for vision, the member contributions for the uh, buyout plan stay the same, so does the plan design. So in summary on page 14, you know, I just have to stress advanced planning is key. Uh, the healthcare contributions will increase most notably for those active employees transitioning into early retirement who cover dependents and especially two or more dependents. Uh, the dental coverage uh, will certainly be more expensive from a contribution standpoint, going from mostly funded for the PPO or all funded for the HMO and active employment to fully paid by the retiree. And you know, if someone's relying upon uh, their life insurance mechanism to be what they receive through the city, again, just a strong reminder here that life insurance ceases at retirement as well. And as I reviewed earlier, planning is going to become all the more pronounced if you are an individual hired after January 9, 2009, who doesn't plan to work at least 20 years. It's President Scott. Are there questions on this presentation? I raised uh, one question with Director Yant on another occasion as to the type of communication that may happen or should happen or could happen between uh, the retirement system and the health system as we communicate with people who are planning retirement and so forth. And my hope is that we can, that if this is currently going on, that we are, uh, when a person is active, they are getting kind of key information from us and from, uh, from us as well as the retirement system as they're approaching retirement and that the information is somewhat consistent regarding the cost impact of uh, health care and so forth as they approach retirement. So. Um, yes, this has been a priority issue for us for the last, I think, two years. Um, Ray has come in and his uh, communications director, Jessica, has done uh, a bang-up job with putting a um, cost calculator and some other communication tools on our website. Our biggest challenge, I think, though, is, is A, you know, working together with retirement, which is also underway of, of having more of a trio of agencies of the human resources retirement and us working together um, but is 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 that this planning has to start well before 
one is coming to retire. So that's the challenge. And uh, I'm sorry that Fred Sanchez had to leave because he's putting together kind of a group of stakeholders yep. for us to have this discussion with because that's very hard for us to directly influence. I think it has to come from their peers, from their labor unions to help them appreciate this from the get-go. Um, you know, I think everybody is looking forward to that pension check, but they don't think about expense, healthcare becoming an expense. So to find a way to get that introduced early on and repeated over the years so there's not sticker shock at the final moment um, is, is I think our biggest challenge and that's something that we will we'll need, you know, quite a web of folks to help us determine how best to do that because there's probably no one way, there's probably multiple ways. Um, so that's, that's where we're at with it. We're, we're definitely being very diligent about um, helping those that are coming to us as they retire very close to the retirement. But for this kind of consideration, um, I don't think that's an adequate amount of time for people to, to, be, to be prepared. All right, thank you. Are there other questions or comments? I, Commissioner Zavansky? I'd like to make some comments because um, there's a number of pre-retirement seminars that are held by uh, POA um, and other um, employee groups, um, and I've attended those um, quite consistently over the last few years. But all of this is essentially voluntary on the part of the employee. The, the reaching out to employees at some point during their, their um, working life rarely happens. And so if they don't, if they're not active in their unions um, or other organizations that um, might bring these issues up, unless they come to the retirement system at one of their pre-retirement seminars or they call health service, uh, doesn't happen. I do want to say, and compliment Abby, um, but also this is true for your, some of your predecessors. Health service has always had good staff that have attended those seminars when the request comes out and there's something planned, we always send someone. So it's not just some of us that go and talk because we're associated with those groups, but we've had the staff that go in and provide the real nitty gritty and the facts. It's like, you know, I'll say things like, yeah, it's, the numbers are a little different, and tomorrow when you meet with actual <coughs> HSS staff, they'll give you real figures. Um, but it is voluntary that way, and so this sets up um, a different situation because even if employees have those discussions at the work site, they don't always follow through to find a seminar or to go forward with the information, they think they'll find it out at some point down the road. And so that's just kind of the reality of, of life at this point. Um, and then they get surprised, especially when they're early retirees, the shock sets in. Um, okay. Thank you. Any other comments from board members? All right, we'll have public comment on this item. Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first and then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. 
and no one has approached the podium, we'll move to our remote public comment. And there are three callers on the line. Zero callers have raised their hand at this time. We'll give a five-second pause for anyone who may want to raise their hand and join public comment. Zero callers have raised their hand, so hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you. Uh, we have an agenda decision to make. Uh, we have a member appeal today, and I believe the parties are uh, with us or very close at hand. And we have uh, one more presentation on uh, competitive bidding, and my understanding is that we have one plan representative who wishes to make a comment. I'm going to call on the plan representative to come forward and make their comment at this time. Should we announce the item? First? The item will be number 11, number 11 or <coughs> no, 12. number 12. Thank you, President Scott. So I'll call oh. agenda item number 12, reports and updates from contracted health plan representatives. This is a discussion item, and the floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you, President Scott and commissioners. Um, Tiffany Gill, Blue Shield of California. Wanted to take a chance to announce um, a groundbreaking collaboration between Blue Shield of California and MAMI, and that's spelled M-A-H-M-E-E, um, aimed at providing SFHSS members with unparalleled maternal care and support throughout their journey from conception to their baby's first birthday. Uh, this collaboration reflects our ongoing commitment to your members' health and well-being, and we're excited to bring SFHSS this comprehensive program at no additional cost through 2024. With Mommy by their side, members gain access to an array of personalized resources, which includes doulas, and support ensuring, ensuring a smoother and empowering experience during this remarkable chapter of a member's life. Okay, thank you. Are there questions? I just want to make a comment. I applaud the fact that you are, this mommy program goes through the first year of the infant's life. Half, over half of maternal mortality around pregnancy occurs after birth. And so this program should help impact um, women who are at risk for a variety of reasons for death after they've given birth. The, the story does not end then. And so I applaud Blue Shield for this program. And I think hopefully we'll see improvement in some of these you know, really abysmal statistics uh, nationwide. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any uh, other questions or comments from the board member? Thank you for bringing this to our attention. I'll now call on public comment on this item. Can we ask how how do members learn about this program? Uh, excuse me, please. If you come back, Mr. Spansky has a question. Sure. Yes, we we actually um, have actually sent out emails already to some of the staff um, or some of the members that are of childbearing age, and then also there will be a mailing done with the program, and then we have also provided materials to, um, to Executive uh, Director Abby Ann and team, and, uh, and then we also have a webinar that will be coming up, um, and all of that will be provided information-wise to, to the membership. All right. So President. this program is in effect already? 
Yeah. It just started August 1st. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I just wanted to uh, accent for the board the, the um, we're very pleased that we were able to put this in place relatively quickly because of what Dr. Collinsby just mentioned. And to accent that, uh, the uh, maternal death rates among uh, women of color, particularly African American women, are horrifying. Yes. And uh, so that's why once this was identified as an opportunity Blue Shield, it was like, let's do it now. So I wanted to be sure that the board was aware that we are looking, you know, going sort of beyond reporting on age-old statistics that tell us that these <coughs> health outcomes are horrible to into action. And, um, you know, and Kaiser does a lot of stuff too, but I wanted to um, have Blue Shield uh, mention this particular program at this point in time. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. All right, we will take public comment on this item at this time. Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions <coughs> are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first, then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, please press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person and public in-person public comment and no one has approached the podium, we'll move to remote public comment. And we have three callers on the line. Zero callers have raised their hand at this time. We'll give a five-second pause for any of our callers who may want to raise their hand. No callers have raised their hand, so hearing no callers, public comment is now closed. All right, thank you. So the competitive bid, uh, looking at Director Yant, are we going to do that today or defer it? I think it would be ideal if the appeal goes quickly that we do that. Um, Come back? All right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm now ready to move to item number 13 on the agenda. Agenda item number 13, vote on whether to hold closed session for member appeal. This is an action item and presented by President Scott. I'm ready to entertain a motion that we go into closed session to hear a member appeal under the provisions as outlined in the agenda. So moved. Second. It's been properly moved and seconded that we go into closed session under the provisions that are provided in the agenda. Is there public comment? Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first, then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium. We'll remove, move to our remote public comment. There are three callers on the line. Zero callers have raised their hand at this time. We'll give a five-second pause for anyone who may want to raise their hand for this agenda item. No callers have raised their hand. Hearing no callers, public comment is now closed. Okay, we will now have a roll call vote on item 13 as to whether to hold a closed session to hear a member appeal. Roll call vote starting with President Scott. Aye. Commissioner Breslin. Aye. Commissioner Canning? Aye. Commissioner Follinsby? Aye. And Commissioner Zavansky? Aye. Motion carries unanimously. We will now go into closed session. Thank you all.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
Hi, this is Holly Lopez in room 416. We're coming out of closed session. We want to make sure that you can see us broadcasted. Okay, thank you so much. We're live and ready to start. All right. We're, I'm ready to entertain a vote as to whether we disclose any or all of our discussion held in closed session. I move that we do not disclose any or all discussion uh, in the, uh, from the closed session. Second. Second. It's been properly moved and seconded that we vote on not to disclose any or all of the discussion held in closed session. Is there any comment from the board? Questions? We will entertain public comment at this time. Thank you, President Scott. We'll be taking public comment for agenda item number 14, which is to vote whether to elect or disclose any discussion held in closed session. And public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first, then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll take in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium, so we'll move to our remote public comment. Oh, callers. And we have two callers on the line. I am going to be checking to make sure that they are coming through. Hardcore. <coughs> Remote public comment is coming through. And we have one caller on the phone line. Zero callers have raised their hand at this time. We'll take a five second pause to see if any callers want to comment on this agenda item. No callers have raised their hand at this time. Public comment is now closed. We'll now have a roll call vote. A roll call vote starting with President Scott. Aye. Commissioner Breslin. Aye. Commissioner Canning. Aye. Commissioner Follinsby. Aye. And Commissioner Zavansky. Aye. Passes unanimously. We'll move to item number 16. Agenda item number 16 is the possible report on action taken in closed session, Government Code Section 54957.1 and San Francisco Administrative Code Section 67.12b. This is an action item and will be presented by President Scott. I'm ready to uh, entertain a motion on whether we report on actions taken during closed session. I move we do not report on action taken in closed session. It's second. Been properly moved and seconded that we do not report on actions taken in the closed session. Are there any questions by the members of the board? If not, uh, we're now ready to take public comment on this item. Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first and then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And there's no in-person public comment. We'll move to remote public comment. We have two callers on the line. Zero callers have raised their hand at this time. We'll take a five second pause for any callers who might want to raise their hand. No callers have raised their hand at this time. <coughs> Public comment is now closed. Thank you. And with that, we're now ready to have a roll call vote. A roll call vote starting with President Scott. Aye. Commissioner Breslin. Aye. Commissioner Canning. Aye. Commissioner Follinsby. Aye. And Commissioner Zvansky. Aye. 
passes unanimously. We will now pick up where our agenda left off with <coughs> item number 11. Thank you, President Scott. Agenda item number 11 is annual consideration of SFHSS competitive bids. This is a discussion item which will be presented by Michael Visconti, SFHSS contracts manager. Thank you. Thank you, commissioners. Michael Visconti, Contracts Administration Manager for the San Francisco Health Service System, although I do appreciate the field commission to Director of Contracts by Randy Scott earlier today. Uh, I am here to do a very brief presentation that will be a, uh, a precursor to our presentation in September about our annual um, competitive bids and why we do them in the schedule that we do and how they are a, another tool in our arsenal um, that is sort of additional to what was discussed in agenda item nine, these sort of market assessments as well as the very uh, excellent negotiations that are done by our negotiations team, including our, uh, our consultants at Aon. So with that, we'll go a quick overview of my slides here. Again, we'll go briefly into why we do these routine competitive procurements, why it's a good matter of, uh, you know, kind of our due diligence, both as the health service system and the board. I'll do a brief comparison of RFIs to RFPs, what the difference is between the non-binding kind of exploratory process as opposed to the binding competitive bid process. We'll go into a very brief history of our most recent RFIs and RFPs. And uh, we will reflect on the considerations that we're seeing during agenda item nine and the considerations we will be presenting to you in uh, uh, the September meeting. So with that, uh, routine competitive procurements, again, uh, these serve multiple purposes for us, but in reality, we are doing our due diligence and our duty to our members and to our uh, participating employers by reviewing all of the current and future needs of the, uh, uh, our members, as well as uh, making sure that we are uh, making sure that our, our benefits are affordable and sustainable going forward. Uh, we always do evaluate throughout the year whether there are new opportunities, partnerships, or services that we haven't considered yet. And what we do is we then weigh whether these are opportunities, services, or benefits that could be available to us through a competitive bid. Uh, we do balance that against any potential negative effects. For example, we don't want to do an RFP if we've, based on our market assessments, we're not going to gain anything from that process. Um, a lot of the gains that we have had, a lot of our successes we have had with prior RFPs were due to much the, the great work done by our team, but also very beneficial market conditions. Um, we also want to weigh those against any potential disruption to our member population. As we've discussed during this meeting, we do know that um, right now there is a, you know, a difficulty finding a new primary care physician. If someone does have a new plan available to them, is there too much of a barrier to them to move to a new plan because of that issue? So again, these are all factors we take into consideration about the timing of these RFPs. But again, this is another great tool in our arsenal to make sure that we are doing the best service to our members and getting the best <laughs> benefits, competitive prices, <laughs> making sure that we're keeping this uh, sustainable and affordable going forward. So brief comparison of our RFIs to RFPs. We've discussed this previously, but again, from a high level. An RFI allows us to do something that is broad and forward-looking. It is much less narrowly tailored than an RFP. For this reason, an RFI can often lead to an RFP because it can allow us to narrow down the scopes so or not asking questions or looking into services that are irrelevant to our ultimate needs. Um, from a schedule perspective and from, a, from the burden on our team and on Aon, uh, again, 
much different, a big great difference between an RFI and an RFP. An RFI can be conducted in two to three months. Uh, we did one of these in 2021, which I will speak to uh, shortly about our Medicare benefits. When we're doing an RFP for when we're talking about health benefits or really any of our benefits, uh, this could be six to nine months. Uh, from a process standpoint, again, as we remember from 2021 with the Medicare RFI, this is a much more of a fact-finding and discussion process. We have members from the board uh, reviewing the responses to the RFI. Um, we leverage subject matter experts, and we present what we have learned to the board in open session as opposed to an RFP, where again, we have a specially selected evaluation panel, as we did in 2020 for the health, uh, the health plan RFP. We have subject matter experts, detailed analysis, ultimate ranking by that panel, and then a recommendation from SFHSS to this board that this board can accept or reject. When it comes to whether it's binding, again, RFIs are non-binding. Usually there's a low barrier to entry and we'll get a lot of responses. An RFP is binding. And for that reason, when we do issue an RFP, we're really looking for the things that we have secured in prior RFPs, like stability in our rates, stability in administrative fees. We've seen this both through negotiation and RFP, for example, with, say, the rate caps that we've had in certain benefits. But again, RFPs are binding, much more time-consuming, much more narrowly tailored, and a much more formulaic and uh, controlled process. And so, Michael, we understand the history, uh, the differences that are shown on this slide. So can you move forward to slide five? Absolutely. And again, uh, for slide five, we've just discussed this. This is sort of the timeline. But again, for 2025 plan year benefits, and this is important to understand, if we are going to conduct an RFP for health plan benefits, and this is for non-Medicare benefits, this would be on the same schedule that we did in 2020 into 2021. We would release it in September, we would present the results to you in February, and that would line us up with our rates and benefits calendar. For Medicare, we could delay the Medicare RFP slightly from a calendar basis, and that's because the CMS rate announcement, where they give all the financial information, for this year, for example, was not released until April 3rd. So again, we cannot really do the RFP until we have that financial information. So again, for that, we would start it in December, conclude in May. For that reason, there is time to do an RFI similar to what we did in 2021 for Medicare prior to doing an RFP if that was our recommendation. Again, when we're looking at these plans, what our considerations are, this is a very similar slide to what you saw in agenda item nine, so we will skip over this. But again, as our CFO, Iftikhar Hussein and Mike Clark highlighted, there are many unique considerations to take into account. We are gonna present our recommendation in September. And again, that will cover all of our plans and benefits. So again, thank you for your time. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your endurance. This has been a very long day. And thank you for giving me the time to present this. We very much also look forward to this being a regular occurrence, uh, having this presentation in August of every year, and making sure the board and SFHSS is doing our due diligence to our members and all of our benefits. All right. I, I would suggest uh, we normally don't meet in July but some reference to this probably needs to happen at the end of June because based on your calendar, you're like, you're gonna kind of go to do one of these things the very next month. And I don't think that that's, uh, to me, 
it doesn't seem like it's going to, that's even realistic. So we need to have some sort of pre-notice if you're uh, realistically going to do this next month. <laughs> Thank you. Oh. Yeah. I, no, you're not meeting, and so I think us presenting in August is is fine. Yeah. We're a little tight this year because it's the first year we've formalized this. Right. Okay. Um, but, you know, Michael thinks this way all the time. It's just getting it out of his head on the paper and where we can discuss it and bring it to you. So I, I think we're good. We're good. Okay. But it, 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 I think it, for me, says that if we're planning to do an RFP, which is an actionable one, we're yes. really talking about implementing something that's going to be at least a year or two away yes. from where we are today. And I think you're recalling correctly when we did this in 2020, granted that was a very different time and the pandemic had just started for us, I think our first mention of it in the director's report was either May or June mm -hmm. of that year. So yeah. thank you. Noted. I think yeah. just tweaking us, just wake us up that it's coming, you know, say in June so that we know. Well, I, I think, and even more importantly, is that um, you, uh, I think the message is appreciating the role that the Health Service Board has in this whole process and understanding that competitive bids are actively considered on an annual basis. Yeah. All right. Again, Michael. Something for the early retirees and... Uh, some competition for Blue Shield. Absolutely, yeah, and as we mentioned in uh, agenda item nine, yeah, these are a lot of the considerations that we're taking to heart right now, and we'll present, we will absolutely be presenting on that in uh, September, yes. Thank you. Okay. Thank you again, Michael, for your work and, <laughs> and diligence, and thank you for your patience today. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you, Commissioners. Thank, thank you, Chiefs President Scott. Out there, thank you for sticking with us through this meeting, uh, this meeting of the Health Service System Board. Yes. And some of us still remember. Oh, is there public comment? Is there public comment on this item? Uh, uh, we can uh, introduce public comment. So public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first, and then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, please press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, you can raise your hand using the raise hand icon, and you'll be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium. We'll move to remote public comment. There is one caller on the phone line. Zero callers have raised their hand at this time. We'll take a five second pause in case anyone wants to raise their hand. No callers have raised their hand. With no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you. Again, Michael, thank you for your work and diligence and also to the Chief's Operating Officer and Financial Officer. Thank you for all that you're doing as well on behalf of our members. And with that, the August 10th, 2023 meeting of the Health System Service Board is adjourned. Thank you. Adjournment at 4.45 p.m. Give Holly your... Oh,